welcome to episode 150 of the local meta my name is fletcher and i'm john john how is your isolation going uh pretty much standard operating procedure for me <laughs> only difference is i don't get to go to fnm anymore <laughs> like it, it's funny because i think basically like my life has changed so little that it's almost <laughs> unnoticeable basically i don't go shopping as much and i'm busier at work yeah so like the only way this has actually impacted you is your work life pretty much otherwise it's just kind of like deal it's pretty absurd but yeah no it's i don't know Uh, so what you been up to uh playing magic playing a lot of pokemon noise i'm i've i've been working on my breeding lately uh i'm I'm very wishy-washy about what I want to have for like, oh, which Pokemon should I have for this? So mm-hmm. if I'm, you know, for in regards to uh, Excadrill, mm-hmm. I breeded two perfect drillbers, one um, Adamant, one Jolly. Mm-hmm. So one with max speed, one with max attack, because yeah. you can do one or the other, depending on what you want to do. So I'm just like, I don't know, I'll just have both. Why not both? <laughs> okay. So I have like, I've, I'm slowly building up a stack of Pokemon that I'm going to start sending on Pokejobs to raise up their stats and stuff, so. Yeah. Like, I breeded my... I breeded a perfect enough uh, Intellion, as it were. Which I'm curious if he's... if Have you looked into the new... this new starter thing for Pokemon? Or the new announcement for Pokemon? I, I watched a little bit of it with very low volume. Um right. And haven't been able to it, but yeah, I saw the thing where they get the like special evolution and stuff. And I'm yeah, you're gonna ask if it works for any of them or the only your starter. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. I'm guessing it's gonna be only your actual factual starter Pokemon, mm-hmm. which makes me happy that I haven't you know deleted my starter Pokemon because even though I have a strictly better version of it, it's still my starter Pokemon. Right? right? Yeah. <laughs> that's how I am. I won't I'm... take the mystical water off of him for crying out loud. <laughs> right. I think he's one of the few that actually, like, I actually put a mystical water on and haven't taken it off either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I'm so ridiculous too. I have my original uh, Corvo Knight too. I mean, that's a bit excessive, but yeah, I, I can know. understand it. His stats are pretty garbage, and I I have him at like level ninety <laughs> or something like that. You're like, you're but like, he's we... my boy. I don't care. You like, gotta you gotta stick with your crew, John. <laughs> I have actually thought about putting in the work of uh, getting all the berries I would need to reduce all of the EVs of my Italian back down to zero, so then I can golden bottle cap him and then actually uh, EV train him to what he needs to, to what he should, be, as it were. But it's like it's an easier way to reset those. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have to use berries. I think you can use berries, but I think there's a. Way, I thought there was a way to reset all of them down to zero. I mean, if there I, is, unless I'm thinking it. about X or Y, but whatever. We can. You know, we'll, fi- we'll figure that stuff out, but because I do have a golden bottle cap, and I did say my first ever golden bottle cap is going to go to perfect perfecting the stats on my intelligence. So <laughs> you're the man. Then I'll have two perfect Intellions. I'd consider doing that too, but because I like my Intellions, my boy too. But, I was also considering uh, trying to breed a shiny version because I actually really do like his shiny. But with his shiny look, <laughs> it looks like he's wearing white pants. It's really weird. He's way more huh. colorful. I don't know how you've seen all these shinies, and I've got I haven't seen a single one yet. Oh, I looked up a shiny online. That's how I saw a shiny. No, I meant in general, like. 
Oh, that's because I'm awesome. Like you got your friggin' like perfect shiny ditto or whatever, which I'm super jealous of. I do a lot Apparently. of raids. Uh, and it's possible to reset the raids until you actually to basically force until you find a shiny. It's time consuming, but you can do it. Hmm. And I think there's people who do that, and then they open up the raid to random people online just so that random person has a chance at a shiny because they're just like nice people for some hmm. weird reason. That or I'm just stupid lucky. I have no idea. Yeah, okay. I don't know how you get all this crap. I'm also very, very specific in always showing the the you caught it screen because I don't want anyone to think that I'm hacking these in. Because no. <laughs> I don't know if you saw uh, the chat yeah, I was having yeah. a few days ago. I literally got four hacked Pokemon in the space of ten minutes. Yeah, I mean that makes sense that you're going to get them all clumped up. But... Yeah, like it's sweet because it gave me four free Master Balls, yeah. which is like <laughs> awesome. I got to use a Master Ball and a. Uh, shiny GMX Duraludon, which was kind of nice, but huh. All right. yeah, cool. Good things are happening, I guess. <laughs> Hooray for Pokemon! Yep. But so, um, this week, and I don't know how long this is going to take, but we're going to do stuff. So there's uh, obviously there's not a ton of magic going on. There's still there's arena stuff going on, but it's not like. It's not like it was, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. right now. So um, we're going to kind of take this opportunity to just, or, well, I'm going to take this opportunity mostly, I guess, to we're kind of just take a sharp turn here and do something a little different. Um, this isn't going to be a usual thing, so don't worry. We're not ditching magic and stuff like that. But um, uh, uh, this is tangentially related to magic. But um, Yeah, this is still magic adjacent. Yeah. It, it's magic adjacent. It's like sitting right next to it, like in the booth talking to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if anyone's basically listened to most of our bonus episodes or any of the bonus episodes, you'll know that we're big tabletop gamers, too. You know, yes. Tabletop RPGs. Um, and, you know, we're that's kind of one of our other hobbies. And that's that's a magic adjacent hobby, too. I mean, the reason that magic exists is because of tabletop gaming to some degree um at least tangentially that's how it got sold to wizards of the coast but mm-hmm. um which is kind of great yeah but i'm uh so um one of the things that i've i i actually tried writing this a while ago and just decided like ah we're gonna do it as a podcast um but so for anyone who doesn't know mark rosewater in 2016 i think it was it's been a while now. Yeah, I think it was GDC 2016. He did a speech called 20 Years, 20 Lessons. And um, uh, if you haven't watched that presentation of his, go and watch it. It is phenomenal. It is so good. It applies to more than just magic, as we're going to show here. But um, it's a big thing about it. And it is just general game design. But he obviously has been making magic for... 25 years you know basically over 20 years um so uh he uses a lot of magic examples with it and everything to explain his points but um one of the things that had always been in my head is i want to break down these points and explain why they matter for tabletop gaming and i think i think a lot of people miss a number of these points or they're not as concisely placed as they need to be you know, like, I think Fear the Boot probably has 
in a ma- in a roundabout way covered a lot of these points. Yep. Like, but not like in the conciseness that Rosewater did, you know, if that makes any sense. But so, I guess I'm a. I don't know. We'll we'll dive onto this one. I don't know if you have anything you want to input before we go, John. I know you're kind of a long ride on this one, but <laughs> I mean, you you are definitely. I have immense respect for Morrow, but yep. obviously you are much more of a Morrow fanboy than I am, and you've <laughs> you're also much more into the design aspect of it, of like gaming in general than I am. Yes, I am. So I like. like... This, this will primarily be a you episode, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, you got. I mean, you have a lot of experience with this too. Honestly, you've written games and everything. But like, I, I I'm a big fan um, about looking at, especially with tabletop rpgs kind of more so than magic i do like the design of magic Mm. um but like looking at like like tabletop rpgs in particular and figuring and thinking about what makes them tick to some degree and like thinking about how how we make these games and how we make our characters and how we make these all the components around it like is some yeah that's usually the answer (laughs) but i'm uh, you know uh, i i find that whole process and the outcome of it very interesting. So um, maybe that's a problem, as one of the points may illustrate, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, well, let's get going. We'll see how, how this goes or if it's a giant garbage fire. And um, uh, yeah. Okay. So um, again, if you haven't watched Morrow's uh, presentation, um, I'd recommend you just stop, stop the podcast right now and go do that. Unless you're driving. Um, then either pull over or get home before you do it. Please do not try to watch a YouTube video while you're driving. Um, well, the good, the good thing about his presentation is you can just listen to it. I would recommend watching it though, because there is a lot of he has a lot of visual to it. Right. But it is very yeah yeah you're right. You could just listen to it and still get a lot get the whole point out of it basically. Like he's kind of got some little jokes and stuff in it, but. Um, but yeah, like listen, just go listen to it. And if you've actually, if you've listened to it before, uh, go listen to it again, because I usually listen to it like every few months and I get just more out of it as stupid as that sounds. Um, and this is not just because I'm a Morrow fanboy here. Okay. Like this is actually like just good information, (laughs) but okay. So, um, Let's get it started. So to kick it off, his first point, and I'm sure most of us have heard this one too, is that fighting against human nature is a losing battle. Um, I don't know if you remember his example of this one in the thing. And but... I have, I have not watched this. I have not watched it in so long, and I yeah. did not do homework for this episode. I know you didn't. So. That's fine. But so the thing he that he is talking about basically is you're trying to fight against. If you're trying to fight against the way people naturally work you're you're not going to win that fight you know there's certain ways you can um direct people certain certain directions and change how they do things but some some fights you're not going to win his his example is when they were just um suspend so you know suspend you you cast the cast the creature as suspend and you take counters off and then finally the creature comes into play um originally it didn't gain haste and they were trying to communicate with people that that creature can't attack when it comes into play constantly. Like, and people would just keep thinking they could attack with it. They finally got the creature they wanted to attack with it. They did about a bunch of things, naming the creatures, putting big words on it, you know, all this stuff. And finally, they just realized that the answer was to just 
give it haste when it entered. <laughs> you know, it, it just wasn't like you. The way people played the game, they they assumed there. It felt like this should be the thing. This is the the direction it was pushing them. So, um, with tabletop gaming, it kind of this kind of works the same way. If you think about some of the if you think about the really good system mechanical systems we've played in compared to some of the ones that are not so good, the ones that work really well are the ones that tend to flow and have a natural progression with them. And you, you can almost expect what's going to happen to some degree. Mm -hmm. And the ones that you really have a lot of trouble with are the ones where you have to look up the rules every single time. Or you do something wrong and they're like, no, that's not how the rules work. And you got to fight about it for half an hour and everything. That it's it's fighting this sort of intuition and this natural progression of what you how you want the game to flow. I like, and maybe it's just because it's overly complex, but um uh, the thing that springs to mind instantly are the um uh, the 3.5 turn undead rules <laughs> for DD. Because they make no sense. They make no all. sense. It feels like you're doing a bunch of extra work and you're like, okay, so I can do this. Oh, and how many times, how many games have we done this? Like probably not many because we we just gave up after a while, but I can think of a number of times where we're just like, oh man, I could use turn undead here. And we're like, okay. And we start looking at the rules and we're like, it's just not worth it. No, like it was almost universally better to just hit the undead with a stick. Yes. Like it's like, I can turn undead. I can possibly destroy them. It's like, or you could mm -hmm. just actually destroy them. Yeah. Just yeah. and like, and, and in in fifth uh, edition, they just simplified it. They're like, I, it was two sentences for me to basically give you the rules when you asked me. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like what a charisma roll or some mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, it's like make a charisma roll and they run away. Boom! It works exactly how you think it should work. Mm -hmm. Like, and and that's the th and that's the big piece of this. Like, and I feel like, you know, even even to some degree with the um, other components of a game like the uh the trappings in the world and everything or the flow of the story and everything if if the story has i mean has one progression it's pushing you this direction and it expects you to go some way suddenly that doesn't make any sense like that really is fighting against that intuition and that nature that you of where you want that direction to flow which doing that is fine to some degree but you have to know consciously what you're doing i feel like you're directly attacking the end of the last game that i ran no i'm not trying to directly <laughs> attack the end of that but here's the deal that game did have a flow to it like and that was totally fine like i don't think it had a problem i i do kind of, I, I think i think some of that was exhaustion like from the whole thing but like oh yeah and but the, yeah. that that like the whole the Obviously, you're not specifically attacking me, but yeah. the entire thing is his point actually is relevant to the game at hand. Yeah. Because if you think about it, D&D &D has a very specific feel to it. Mm -hmm. Right? right? Mm -hmm. You kick in the door, you kill the monster, you get the loot. Yep. Yeah. And like that is, that is the standard you know, order of yep. operations for Dungeons & Dragons. That is what totally. people want to do in Dungeons & Dragons. You want to yep. be the big damn hero, right? Yep. The game I was running was not about that. No, and, and I tr yeah. I tried getting that point across, but I don't think I got it. I don't think I got it as across quite as well as I did in previous games, i.e., Dark Heresy. Yeah, I think I think that was 
my i think that yeah we kind of made some mistakes on that one with our character setups and stuff like that i think we thought we i think i think when you said this is going to be this type of game i think we thought this is going to be this type of game in the context of D. &D. yeah so you're going to make some instead of you know having to roll you know a combat attack you might instead roll an intimidate attack and then roll a combat attack or something yeah exactly kind of thing like like it felt like there would be more more of that in some degree and actually i think the game did kind of do that this exact thing that we were talking about whereas like you're going through you're going through you get to the end you get to the end where you get you know you get the win mm-hmm. and then something roadblocks and then and then the roadblock happens and it was just like uh, we're if you think about the progression of a story like that I, we'll we'll hit this one maybe in a little in a little later point here actually because i think there's something um that we could, you know, use with that, but I, I think it dis, it disjarred our expectations of how the how the flow was supposed to be. I mean, it didn't. It didn't. I agree. It, yes, I, I I don't think it. I, yeah, I'm not like I do think it was. Mm-hmm. I do think it was very much people were just exhausted. But if you think about it in regards to most D and D games, at the end of the dungeon, there's a big dragon, right? You have to That's beat. True. The, that is true. You yeah. have to beat the dragon to get the final reward. The yeah. problem is beating the dragon in this case wasn't actually combat related. Yeah, it was. You know, it was winning by not winning because everyone's like, "Oh my god, there's like fifty thousand gold here, right? Like this is yep. set for life kind of money." And it's like the only way to win is to not get it. The, the only way to win is to not play the game. Yeah, yep. or get eaten by a dragon. <laughs> yep, which in and of itself can be someone's own personal opinion of winning. Yeah. I guess whatever your goal, whatever your goals are, I guess, but. But you know, uh, like that that was a big thing where I don't think I got the point across. People were thinking about it like they were playing it as you would play a D D game. Mm-hmm. Yep. But that's not the kind of game it was. Yep. So yeah. Fight yep. So point one, fighting against human nature is a losing battle. That's how it applies there. So I I would like to tie this back into his actual magic point sure. also. I want to go back go back to his previous thing. Yep. It's it's funny that in playtesting people we're like, why, you know, why doesn't this have haste? It should have haste, and they eventually give it haste. Because when I learned that suspend automatically gives every creature haste, I was very surprised. <laughs> I was like, why would I yeah. be able to attack? I just cast it this turn. Yeah, like, you know, some people are like that, but it's like, I, you can understand it, though. You've been waiting and waiting, and finally you get this thing, and finally you get to do your thing with it, and you can't. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, like, I, I get why they did it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Come to think of it, now that, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, the mystery booster draft that we did, mm-hmm. I don't think my opponent who had the Bayloth realized it had haste. He never attacked oh. the turn he came into play. Yeah, fair enough. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. All right. <laughs> so, Sorry, I'm just going to keep interjecting a, a sort of magic commentary into this just to like hey, make we are, it. We magic. are a magic podcast. Yeah. <laughs> supposedly. All right. So, um, point two. Aesthetics matter. Um, basically, what this is saying that players expect the components of the game to have a certain feel and to kind of match with that thing. Um, so the one that he, the example that he used for this one is the card he got the most complaints of from uh, Dark Heresy. I think is what the set was. Um, uh, Dark oh, Ascension. Dark Ascension. Dark, yeah, Dark Ascension. Sorry, I'm thinking a different different game. I think my I think all of my notes in here have Dark Heresy. That's why. Uh, Dark Ascension. Yeah, I think that's where where he's from. But um, uh, 
Yeah, he said there was one card that he got tons of complaints about, and um, uh, it was Grizzlebrand. <laughs> oh, Avacyn restored. There we are. Sorry, I apologize. I'm like on the wrong one. I know this exact complaint. <laughs> and you know what it was. And it's yeah. not that the card wasn't good or anything. It's not that the card wasn't like flavorful or fun or people, you know, liked it there. The biggest complaint was that it was a 7-7 that you could pay 7 life and draw 7 cards that cost 8 mana. Yep. The <laughs> first time I ever saw Grizzlebrand, that was my exact complaint. Really? I didn't even know I don't even know didn't even notice it, but like yeah. so <laughs> I mean, and he's like Roosevelt said, he's like, there's no way you could change it to make it work. Like the cards too would be too good at seven mana. Like it's just, you know, it is, it is what it is. You know, it, but... seven mana makes him castable and limited. <laughs> <laughs> like eight mana is not reasonably castable and limited. Seven, seven mana, mana is. But, so... <laughs> <laughs> but like, so the whole thing is, is that. All, so these components and everything you're using have have a certain feel and a certain aesthetic to them. We were um, actually so before the episode, I, we were talking about a custom card that we were looking at that um, I was asking your opinion on. And one of the things I said I liked about it when you made a you made a comment about um, tweaking a number or something on it was like I, I like how the the feel of the whole thing has with the pairs aspect of it to some degree. It had a lot of twos in it and everything. And changing one of those numbers to something different could have would have made it feel different. Yep. You know, and I think, yep. And so when it comes to tabletop gaming, I mean, one of the things with, you know, aesthetics, you have a lot of different places where you have aesthetics, actually. It doesn't seem like it because uh, even if you're not using visuals in your game, there's still aesthetics to the, to the rules and the flavor and everything. So one of the, one of the first things that comes to mind with me is, um, uh, so, uh, D and D power attack. Um, if I'm is um or no, I'm thinking of something different. But if you notice, there's a lot of uh, abilities in games like that where it does um, symmetrical effects. It'll think, give you like a plus I, two and a I minus two. I think you're thinking two. about power attack. Yeah, you can ta you can take yep. a negative to your attack roll to gain yep. an increase in your damage roll. Yep, yep. Where you can see where you can see there's that sort of symmetrical effect where it flows and everything. And that's not just. I, I don't think that's just mechanical. I think even when they're trying to compensate somewhere, they want to make it look like it, to make it make sense. Um, I know there's one place in the game somewhere where there's a two and a, where it's like, you get like a plus two and something gets like a minus four or you get a minus two and they get a plus, or something else gets a plus four. I can't remember exactly what it is, but mm -hmm. um, like even that has a sort of aesthetic to it because you obviously, you know, four is two twos. Um, and it, it'd feel much more disjointed if it was like, oh, you get a, you know, minus three here and a plus five to this. Yep. It just, it, 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 it feels random. It feels weird. Um, and so that sort of, and I think that's one of the problems with the turn undead rules, like we were talking about earlier, is that it jumps around to so many of these different places and doesn't, it doesn't have a clean, clean flow or feel to it. Yeah, it, re it relied on mm -hmm. many, too many different things that it was reliant on to actually do a very, very simple thing in concept. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Which is basically a fancy mm -hmm. attack roll. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, 
the the other place where I, I would consider some aesthetics with this, um, and maybe this is actually the next point a little more so, and I'll probably talk more about that, but is, you know, the game's overall feel and tone has a certain aesthetic to it. Like, you know, and maybe, and there's certain times where you may want to, like, change these things to create a sort of dissonance with somebody. Um, I mean, I can think of a couple games where I intentionally did something like this to make it known that something was out of the ordinary. But most of the time, it's like, you know, if you have a game where it's like, you know, like a, you're playing like a D&D style game, you know, that sort of your heroes, you're doing, you know, these things, you're kind of invulnerable in some ways. Um, it's it's high fantasy. It's a little lighter. It's not, you know, like that. And then all of a sudden you throw like a dark heresy style, like turn in there where it's like something like just absolutely awful. And you shift that like it's going to feel really jarring and it's going to really stick out of place. Or if you put like, you know, if you have like a, 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 a D and D game, that's, um, you know, sort of this, this, uh, hit point style system. That's, um, your characters always recover. So I don't think, but for some reason you throw in like a dismemberment mechanic from like kind of thing, like that's going to feel really weird. Yep. So like, Whoops, to be sorry. fair, you, you can also use something like that to try and like shock players back yep. into reality. Yep, and that's what I've said too. Is it's like sometimes you want to do that to to keep people either to show that there's something out there or to keep them on the straight and narrow. <laughs> like I I distinctly recall I didn't originally plan on doing something. Yep. Um, in one of my Dark Heresy games. Yep. But uh, I realized that people were taking the game. It, they were once again taking the game not very seriously. Yes. Yep. And that was like that was a big thing. I felt like that was why the first game didn't necessarily flow very well. The very first one. Uh, yeah, the very first one. Yes, I agree one hundred percent. We've talked about that ad nauseum. Yep. But so we're doing this one thing. Well, I have an idea for uh, another game, and I'm like, well, everyone seems to be just kind of taking you know this very not seriously. So I literally had you watch into a room, walk into a room where a guy that you literally were just talking to five minutes ago was butchered. <laughs> I think I remember that. <laughs> just that like, spot. bam, <laughs> shit serious. Yep, and it's like... <laughs> it's like, this, you know, like, yeah, these guys that you're dealing with are kind of idiots because they were, I, lit I was intentionally playing them off as being like, you know, pseudo frat boy-esque because that's yep. what they basically were. Yep. But they were in way over their heads, and yep. so were you. But and it, and it did. It was like it was like a bucket of cold water. Yeah, it's like, like it's like it shocked you back into reality. It shocked us back into air quotes reality of the, yeah. of the game. Yeah, I remember that exact scene. Yeah, and like that was a very big thing for it's like yep. I was like I wasn't going to do it, and I was yep. like I think I need to. Yep. And I don't regret it because no, everyone I think was, it was like, very good. I literally looked around the table and everyone else was like. Oh shit! Yeah, it it did. I like, and I feel like that was like one of the that was the first Dark Heresy game Richie played with us. Yes, right. And he and I think I remember him being like, "Oh man!" Like, yeah, <laughs> he was kind of like, "Uh, <laughs> this is yeah. not what I signed up for." No, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and like they like like I said, that was a very key thing for me to be like, mm -hmm. I need to establish the aesthetic of what is actually going on for you guys. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, and it was, it wasn't, you know, I was, I originally, my plan was like a slow escalation of like mind game stuff. Yeah. It's like, 
slow escalation yeah. is not going to get where I want it to go. Yeah. And you need to you needed to assess yeah, yeah assess that whole thing and everything. Yeah, like yeah, and 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 figure out you know how to get that tone back on track. Yeah, yeah, that that's a good way to get it there. But so the point is, aesthetics do matter. You know. Yes. All right. So point three, resonance is important. Um, so the example Mara used about this was basically talking about. Innistrad, um, and just saying that when they went to the design that set, they actually just wrote down a bunch of names of card of cool horror tropes and made cards based on those names. You know, uh, black cat, zombie apocalypse, wooden stake, evil twin. Uh, you know, stuff like you know things like that that just kind of were really evocative, and that carried a lot of they they could offload the mechanical weight to people's previous experiences because people kind of understand what these things are doing you know when you look at certain cards when you look at evil twin you're like oh i get it that's that trope mm -hmm. you know people already understand what that trope is you know people understand what zombies are um they don't so when you see the the card zombie apocalypse oh you get it you this is this is the zombie hordes coming or um, uh, what's the card? Endless Ranks of the Dead is another one that kind of carries it. But like, people understand what zombies are. They don't. You don't need to tell them. Oh, this is what a zombie is, guys. You know, and you know that was his point with magic. And I think this carries through. Just like this is kind of almost really. It it feels stupid obvious in games, you know, tabletop gaming. Like we have a lot of uh. Of, bag of baggage as gamers that come with us, but like, you know, you don't need to do a game and explain what a goblin is every time. One would like, hope not. <laughs> so we, one would hope you you understand what that is. Like, even if you're playing, it's like, oh, we're playing a um, uh, you know, a a, a sci-fi game, and you come across this alien race, and we're like, well, what are they like? Well, they're like goblins. We get it instantly. You know, you don't have to sit and explain everything about them then. Like, so the the point of this whole thing is that people, like, you know, people and players come with, you know, pre, pre this preloaded information and everything. Oh, actually, this is the next one. <laughs> but, um, uh, but, um, uh, so this, but this, uh, so actually the preloaded information thing is going to be the next one. That's piggybacking. Sorry. All but, right. Um, <laughs> so, but, um, but people see these things and understand what they are and already have built in emotional responses to them. Um, so you can use those things to make people feel something, um, is actually the point of the, of what resonance is and everything here. So it's actually very similar to how we use aesthetics. Um, but you know, you can use the horror scene that like the horror scene that you described, you didn't have, I mean, you kind of did use a lot of detail, but you didn't have to use every single minute ounce of detail because you could, because We've seen horror films, you know, to some degree. Yep. We understand how this structure works. We understand how this feel works and how that all, you know, resonates with everything around here. Um, you know, in D&D, you can use it in a more positive sense and use, you know, you can use positive feelings to sort of evoke some of those things. You know, this town is very similar to this, you know, this thing that you already understand and use the emotions that people have with that to kind of push that forward. So I might um, uh, move on to the next one right away, actually, unless you got something to poke on here. Cause I kind of started on it already, but 
I've been just been thinking about Endless Ranks of the Dead this whole time because that's like one of my favorite cards in all of Innistrad. That's so. such a good card. That's such a that's such a resonant card, isn't it? It is. It like, is an it exceptional really is. card. Yeah, but like, like how good how good is that as a zombie card, right? But yeah, you know, I mean, and there's things like that that you can do like in in gaming where it's like you put something in there and use that, and you know, that resonates with all with with the the emotions that somebody already has and just kind of put, use that to, to help um, reinforce something. But, um, okay. So that was three. So uh, the next one is make use of piggybacking. And this is the one I really like this one actually. So um, this is actually just such a good game design concept that seems really um, stupid when you think about it. But um, so basically piggybacking is take is taking advantage of people's pre-built knowledge. So as I was saying, like, so with the resonance one, it kind of talks about the emotional response to it. This kind of does the same thing, but also talks about the um, intellectual response with it to some degree. Um, the example that Mauro used was um, a crow and a horse from uh, Theros. If you if you remember that card. Yep. When it's the battlefield, comes it comes into play under your opponent's control. Yep. Then every upkeep, every one of either yours or your opponent's upkeep, you get a one-one soldier. Yep, which is a reference to Trojan Horse, right? Yes, obviously. So the point, Mara, the 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 story Mara told us is that. <laughs> sorry, I didn't know if you actually wanted me to answer that question. Or not. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm very good with rhetorical questions normally. Yes. So, um, so at one point they changed. They they made the card a Crown Horse. And they're like, oh, this card's sweet. It was scoring super high in their testing and everything. Um, and then they're like, well, we're gonna change it, make some flavor changes, just to. You know, make it work with our world. So they made it made it a lion. They made a crow and lion. Well, now the card nobody got the card. It didn't make any sense to people. It was scoring super low. They're like, this card. What, what is this card doing? It doesn't make any sense. And they changed it back to a crow and horse. Card started scoring super well again. <laughs> Everybody loved it. They thought it was great. Like I remember the first time I saw a crow and horse. I'm like, this card is awesome. Like how? Yep. How flavorful is it? But like, so look at the card. So look at the card a crow and horse just in and of itself. Like without the context, this card is really confusing. Yes. But basically what they were able to do is, is that people understand what a Trojan horse is and how that works in the world. And they were, they were able to take this relatively complex card and offload a lot of that complexity on the pre-existing knowledge that people have. You know, so as I was saying before, you know, it um, uh, you know, people know, you know, we we know what a goblin is and everything like that. We know how certain things work in this world. We kind of have this, these, um, we come preloaded. I think is what the the <laughs> the term Maro uses. But like, so we. The, the, I'm trying to think of how to express this in my head, but like I'm thinking of you know power attack again from D and D. Like the mechanical concept isn't that difficult, but I think it is made a lot easier by the thought of we can easily picture what is happening in that scenario. Yes. Of I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little less finesse and accurate and swing harder. And I think gaming does a really good job of using that sort of intuition 
and offloading some of the complexity of the mechanics of the game, where if you just looked at it without that, it would be a little more difficult, and and putting that on sort of this knowledge that we have. I thought you were going to say something there, so I was going to let you. No, I'm just, just <laughs> sitting here listening. Okay, sounds good. I, I do have one, once again, yep. another, another magical ant, a, anecdote about yep. uh, the Crowan horse. Yep. But funny enough, during one of those pre-releases, I actually recall uh, one of my opponents reading it. This this person was like probably a few years younger than me at the time. They're yep. like, why would I want to give my opponent an 04? <laughs> just blocks the 1-1. One, one. Funny. <laughs> but because I mean, right. that's the flavor. But that's the that's kind of the, the thing of it. Like, you know, it's I don't know. <laughs> but it's pretty good. But yep. Yep. Um but yeah, so I think finding ways of you know unloading some of that mechanical baggage onto some of the knowledge that we have as people already is a really nice thing to do for you know tabletop gaming obviously we have to do that a lot because think about when you're describing a scene or whatever or you know working with a storyline and everything like when you're describing a scene you don't ha describe everything as it looks a lot of times you're describing it using the context that we understand mm -hmm. you know and you almost have to you you have to do that in a lot of ways um the nice thing is you can also use that to invoke some resonance because we have emotional responses to that. Um, also, I think one of the big things is that um, uh, you can use it with storylines because, you know, I, I kind of inferred that a little bit with the first when we were talking about the, the Dragon Heist game. Um, people have an expectation of how tropes kind of work. You know, we understand the flow of certain stories. And you can use that to your advantage. And if you want your players to do something specific, you can kind of push them in that direction by using those story tropes and really really trying to make it so that they understand what that trope is and kind of are naturally inclined to follow that. There's like uh there's some games I've I've done that in particular just to, you know, to really push that because i want the game to flow a certain way i don't want them running off in a certain direction you know and if you can kind of like not force them but make them think they want to go this way it makes it a lot easier <laughs> it's much easier to get someone to do something when they think it's their idea yes no don't get ahead, don't get ahead of things here now <laughs> <laughs> i like i said i don't know what these notes read yep. but no I'm, I'm just kidding but um uh, yeah so um Yes, so this is this is a good one, and the more I think this is easier nowadays too, because just think of all the media that people are consuming. Like it's so easy to use some of that media as a piggybacking point um, that players will understand. But okay, so that was make use of piggybacking. So number five is don't confuse interesting with fun. <laughs> this is I think we're all guilty of this one but I'm uh so um in this one basically what basically what he's saying is is that invoking a positive emotional response is a lot of times more effective than invoking a positive intellectual response um I, I think if there's a sin I'm guilty of this could be one of the biggest like 
personally. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, because I like to process how we make our games, I think I fall into the trap of, of, of thinking about them instead of worrying about how they're experienced. So, but whatever. Um, so the example that Morrow used in his things is he talks about the set Odyssey. Yep. And um, uh, so that that's the, that his concept for Odyssey was basically, you know, that with card advantage, he's like, well, what if we take that concept of card advantage and kind of turn it on its head where making not having card advantage is advantageous. Um, so the set had threshold. Yep. That's, that's yep. immediately where my, my, where my mind went to. So, so the example he uses is that, you know, there's a card in there called, and there's a few cards like this, but the card Patrol Hound, which is a two mana 2-2, two, two, but it has the ability to discard a card from your hand, it gains first strike, until, which doesn't matter. Discard a card from your hand for free, that's what matters. Yep. And then he talks about Crows and Beasts with Threshold. And basically, a lot of times the correct strategy in that set would be, is if you needed your Threshold, you would get a card like Patrol Hound, pitch your entire hand, and do that. That is the the strategically correct way to do it. But the problem with that is, is that for a lot of people, that's just not fun. You want to, mm -hmm. you know, play your cards, not throw them away. I mean, I've said it before to you too and stuff like that. It's like, I know it's strategically correct, but I'm not a big fan of self-mill. Because, yep. because I get that emotional response of, I know it doesn't do anything bad to me. Like, but I don't like milling my cards. It it feels bad to me. <laughs> like, so, and I know it's like actually more powerful, but <laughs> like, I understand the strategic things, but I don't like doing it. It doesn't feel fun, you know? And that's kind of what he's saying here. And it's so easy to do things like that in games too. Like, you know, should we go back to the friggin' awful rule again of turn undead? Like it may be correct to turn undead here because of the percent chances and stuff like that, but God, it's no fun, man. Well, there's like, nothing. It's uh, much more fun to roll a die and see if you roll an eighteen. Yeah, exactly. Like it, it's just it, it. It stripped all the fun of it, and while the 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 whole concept of it would may have been interesting, I would argue it isn't. Like it just, God, it just doesn't do it. I mean, I think the biggest culprits of of this are are twofold. Um, so one is just systems that are built on being accurate, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, yes, it there's does. there's a lot of systems out there that favor accuracy over cleanliness of play to some degree, and I think those systems are interesting. I'm not convinced that they are fun. I think there's maybe, and you know, people find fun in different things. I accept that. You know, mm -hmm. I'm just saying as a general whole here to some degree and for me personally um you know a, a lot of these will come down to know your group but um most of us don't want to sit there and do calculus for half an hour no. to like make an attack roll i mean it's it's very similar to i'm i'm just gonna bring up yep. a whole another gaming genre it's very similar to someone who really really enjoys playing arma versus yes. someone who really really enjoys playing call of duty uh, yes that is perfect that is perfect example like Arma is known for being ridiculously accurate. There's bullet drop, there's bullet travel time, even as minuscule as actually is, you know. Yep. Like all these things go in hand in hand in it. Arma yep. is 
there's a reason why Arma doesn't sell as much as Call of Duty does. Yeah, I mean, I've and played it, Arma a little, like some Arma by myself a little bit. It is nitpicky, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I have nothing against games like that. No, I, but, I sometimes I like doing things like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, like I've I specifically bought like the old school sniper game because I'm like, sure, I I don't mind playing a game like this. And then I got like I got stuck at a point where I had no idea where the hell I needed to go, and I just stopped playing because I yeah. was like. The level design of that game was atrocious. <laughs> but, you know, like, if I... The odds are, if I'm going to be like, man, I just feel like playing, like, a random game of something just to pass the time, I'm not going to pick up Arma. I'm going to pick up Halo. Right? Yeah. Because one of these is much more just, like, it's mm-hmm. just fun. Yep. And I, I think that's why we just kind of extol the virtues lately of D&D 5e. Is is that they took a lot of that stuff that was like mechanically there, and it it was it was interesting mechanically for the most part. Like the you know it, it was interesting thinking about oh well, what feats can I get to get these modifiers, and I can do this, and I can do that. Like that's interesting to some degree. Yeah, but and like, I mean, the, and a lot of it, a lot of it even made sense, right? Like yeah, oh it, sure, it it makes more oh, sense yeah. that you're better at hearing than you are at seeing than you are at ransacking room. Yep, it makes exactly. sense that you're yeah. better at hiding than you are at what, moving silently, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, the odds are if you took one of those, you took the other ones too. Yep. Like, yep. there's if you're good at hiding, you're probably going to be good at sneaking. Yep. And, <laughs> and so, like, yeah, taking that hit on like the the air quotes like customizability and flavor is actually just better for a game flow. Yeah. Having a perception skill is so much better than having a search skill and spot skill and listen skill and, you know, trying to figure out whether or not someone wants to stab you in the next skill. Yep. (laughs) And it's just, yeah, it's just so much cleaner. And so I said there are two spots. One is just general games like that. I think the other one is people tacking on house rules for things. Yep. I, I think when people make house rules, I think they tend to make them too complex. Uh, eh, yes and no. Okay, maybe maybe I'm wrong there, but like the people, the the things I've seen people talking about stuff, I feel like when they make their house rules, they want to make rules to it, like, and yep. maybe I, maybe I lack making house rules and I just make house judgment calls or something like that. But house like, judgment calls are the best thing. I mean, I agree too, but like, I think trying to, I think it's again the problem of trying to be over accurate or over analyze it. You know, yep. You know, and this doesn't just fall into rules either and stuff like that. This can fall into flavor and everything. Like, you know, thinking about like, well, what if I take this thing and turn it on its head, kind of thing. Yep. You know, there's a lot of settings where you can that, or there's a lot of situations where you can just ruin things where it's like, oh, I'm gonna change this thing and it just kind of blows it away. It's like, oh, I'm gonna make this town, but you know. Everybody hates this one character race, and you all are that. Well, it's like depending on how you handle that, that's like that could be interesting from the concept of exploring, like you know, the the whole sort of like sort of like exploring a side of racism, if that makes sense. Yep. But like, is that necessarily fun to play? I mean, most people don't play games to feel bad about themselves. I mean, I do, but, like, I'm weird. Yeah, you so, are. Like, I really am. I do, like, making things f- to make me feel bad or something. But, um, 
you know, there's, and I'll admit, I fall into the thing. I like worlds like that. I like worlds that are kind of like the darker side. I mean, literally the game I'm writing is kind of like shaking its finger at me with this, but I, you know, I like the games that are exploring the, the, the dark side of things to some degree, but I also don't want to just crush my player's soul. I want to make that experience fun and everything. I mean, I, I actually, you know, took a fair amount of pain to make sure that the, um, uh, the uh, Legion game wasn't all doom and gloom. Wait, you know, it wasn't? It wasn't all doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> I could have made that game awful. I really, really could have. But like, there were, there were certain things I pulled back on just to make sure that it was, uh, you know, not so... <laughs> Not so dark and not so treacherous, if that makes sense. Like you guys, uh, one of the things I ended up kind of doing partway through the game, then made sure I did, is that you that one town you're in it was always a safe haven for the most part. Yeah, fair enough. Like like that whole thing, and I actually swerved on a, a plot point I was going to have one because you guys called it out straight out, and I'm like, nope, I'm not going to let you have it. And two because it actually felt better not to do it. What um, was the plot point that we called out? Uh, the little girl. Oh, okay. Oh, she was obviously going to be evil. Yeah. And I actually just turned and made her a little girl that needed help. And I think that actually made the game better. Can I actually go back to one of your previous comments about sure. um, the feel or whatever it was? I, yeah. I, I feel like the Legion game was another one of those games that I don't think people were necessarily playing it right. I'm kind of okay with that, though. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you seemingly enjoyed it, and, like, everyone seemed to enjoy what was going on. I think was people a... enjoyed it more than I did. I didn't think people were enjoying it, but everybody's like, oh, why did we stop that game? I liked it. I'm like... Like, I feel like I was playing the game much more serious than everyone else. <laughs> you were to some degree. Like, the, the thing is, is that, like, Tucker's character had a dark edge to him, uh-huh. but the character was not necessarily really dark, if that makes sense. No, he was more... I don't want to say comedic, but he was. It com- was. He was. It was like it was campy. Yeah, it was very campy. I, it was how I'd put it, and I, I actually like that tone for the game. All right, that's I think, fair. I think that kind of fits with it. Like, I think that I think the game needs to be played more like Buffy the Vampire Slayer than it needs to be played like I don't know something really dark, dark heresy shit or something like that. You know, like. The Dark Heresy it, games, I, I think you need to pl- you need to play straight up and everything. But I like having a little camp in that one game. Yeah, that's fair. So maybe I was just maybe I just mis mis evaluated what the game was like. So mm-hmm. I was actually playing a somewhat I, wrong character. I think I think your interpretation was my original original evaluation. Okay. But I think once rubber hit the road, things kind of shifted. Because that was my whole thing. Is like I want to make like an actual factual. You know, I have a I had a bug out bag for a reason. Yeah. Survivor, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, my guy specifically used a uh, hatchet for his yeah. primary weapon because a hatchet has utility outside of killing something. Mm-hmm. Like that just made sense for him as a character. Yeah. Yeah. So, but so, all right. <laughs> so. Don't confuse interesting with fun. <laughs> but and I think actually to, to tack on another point here, I know we talk about this and everything, but like there, you know, there is fun about 
playing dark games sometime and everything. You know, like yeah. Dark Heresy is when we talk about we enjoy Dark Heresy. I won't yep. want to play it all the time. And there's certain things I still wouldn't want to do in that game. But it is still like, you know, being scared sometime is fun, if that makes sense. You know, I'm curious what you wouldn't want to do sometimes. Yeah, I'm not sure either. But I'll I say wouldn't. this. This is actually relevant to me because I do enjoy is, running Dark Heresy games. This is the general we maybe. I don't know. Okay. I think there's things that some people in our group would probably not want to encounter. I think I'm pretty much game for almost everything. And that's pretty awful. Yeah. But I don't know. We'd have to. Yeah, it'd have to see. I, maybe I'd have to be encountered with where I really knew. But I still, I still need I, to run. I, a, tell you uh, there, but. I need to run a Space Marine game because I want because that game is that is actually over the top absurdity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. You so are we, a walking tank. Yep. So we made it through five. Do we want to do one more? Make it an even six out of twenty? Not kidding. I think five out of twenty makes more sense than six. I, out I think of 20. it does. So if we do this, we got four episodes, which would basically put it right about the time when everything is going to go to absolute hell for me, and we'll see if I can even record an episode. Mm. <laughs> but <sighs> okay, I don't know. So John, I'm I, I just got to ask you on the air and everything, so you can tell me. So is any of this worthwhile? I actually do think it is. Okay, because yeah, you, like... I'll, I'll 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 say. Before, when I was talking about this with you, it sounded like you were kind of on the <laughs> I'm on the fence about literally anything that involves you being the primary talker, because I already listen to you talk a lot and just kind of sit here quietly. <laughs> uh, fair enough, but, I'm but sorry. The, the thing is, I actually, I do have little things I can add to this, which is relevant. And know? I told you you would. I told yeah. you. You just gotta I, trust me. I wasn't thinking about it from the standpoint of tabletop, though, right? I was yeah. thinking about it from the standpoint of actual factual game design, which, yep. while, yes, as a you know game master, I do technically design games, mm -hmm. I don't think of it that way. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and that's the thing, is that making, making a, a, you know, a campaign is game design. Mm -hmm. Like those are game design principles that you use and everything. And honestly, like a lot of the ones that are coming up here, and you're gonna want to listen to the next episodes when we do these, um, are really, really some of them are really, really important. I think the next one we're gonna talk about is actually one that this is the one that I keep trying to tackle. <laughs> like, you know. So like I I think this is good stuff, but as I said, it's tangentially magic related, but you're we're we're eking enough magic content in there where we'll make it We'll squint our eyes and make it count as magic content. I mean, I can turn almost anything into a discussion on magic, so... <laughs> I mean, and if nothing else, one of the things that we've tried to stress here, and I know everything's kind of weird right now in the world, but, like, you know, being a local gamer and everything, that all these, you know, magic exists in a bigger community than just magic in most cases. Yep. Like, if you think of it, like, a game store has more than just magic, for the most part, unless your store is really unique, which cool i guess um but you know if you think about the game store that we go to it's like you know they're you know they sell board games and do board game nights they do figure painting they do warhammer they do how many different card games and tabletop things and all these stuff and that's you know not including their D, &D nights that they do in the other gaming groups they host they have, there's a lot of stuff going on there and i think sometimes paying attention to that as magic players and understanding that this local community of gamers is bigger than just us and magic is a part of that bigger community like obviously as magic players we were you know 
our own little circle and everything. But I think recognizing that, um, you know, the world is bigger than just us is just a beneficial thing in general. Plus, I mean, it's it's honestly not the worst idea to have your like primary uh, magic based social click, you yeah. know, branch out into other things, right? Not at all. You know, like I, the fact that me and Hobbs can talk about both Pokemon and magic is really good because you know, oh, yeah. eventually, well, actually, I can literally talk about magic forever. But it is yeah. nice to be able to talk about other things, right? You know, yeah. we're we're 150. This is our 150th episode. Didn't talk about magic for yes, <laughs> but yeah. So, but yeah, like I mean, if you if your relationships with people are one dimensional, then you know what is that to some degree and everything. Like, yeah, what happens I, when that one dimension ceases to exist? I mean, this is something that people run into in you know not just friendship relationships, but like you know romantic relationships even and stuff like that. You know, but like. But yeah, I mean, and, and you know, under we also have a really good time together when we're boning, <laughs> right? I mean, that's true. But like, uh, you know, people uh, bond over, people bond over one thing, and then when that one thing is not something that can hold it together, like, you know, things don't stick. You know, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, so that's why like things need to be built on, you know, more than just that. You know, but yeah. Also, I mean, also, I think in general, like, you know to go with the comment I say just understanding understanding is just better for the world you know the more you understand about others the more you can understand about yourself you know and I think that's just a good thing but all right well enough life lessons I guess call this one for for this week yeah we'll call this in a a week but uh, if you want to shoot us some feedback Send it, you can send us an email at the local, to thelocalmeta at gmail.com. Catch us on Twitter at thelocalmetapc. Check out thelocalmeta.com for links to the Discord. Um, come say hi. Um, hit up some games. We're usually on here and stuff too. So if you want to play some Magic, let me know, man. I'll, I got a couple awful decks um, on Arena. But I'm, uh, uh, there's also a link to our Patreon. But you know, as I'm still in the mode right now. Just, you know. Take care of other people right now and do that. Other people need the dollar more. Other people need the dollar more. I know it's a stupid dollar, but honestly, they do. I mean, if nothing else, go and support, you know, your local game store or a local business or, you know, people living in your community or, you know, the hospitals taking care of people and everything, stuff like that. So just, um, uh, yeah, just do what you can. Help people out. Learn to understand people. There's my, my hippie crap for the day. John, anything else? No, I'm good. Sweet. Cool. We will catch you next time.